This is FatCast for July 15th, 2010. I am Leslie Kinzel of FatChanisa.com, and as always joining me is Marianne Kirby of TheRotund.com. This episode continues our conversation about the new ABC Family series, Huge. Hello, and you are listening to Fatcast. This is another. Uh, actually, this this is a re-recording of a recording that got screwed up, so we're having to restart from scratch. Um, it's another discussion about huge, and I really want to call these huge episodes, and I'm I'm going to insist on that. Although I think Marianne hates it. I don't hate it. It just makes me think again that we should have a podcasting safe word. <laughs> For when so, I'm like, no! <laughs> you have gone too far. <laughs> I can go too far. You don't know. It's true. It's true. You were afraid I was going to sing more to live crew once. So that's, yeah. All right? right. Well, I don't know if that was fear. It was like a fear mixed with longing. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a good episode. I can feel it. Me too. I can feel it. And hopefully it'll... It'll actually record this time and, and all of our, our, you know, brilliance will be passed on to the Internet. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're talking about huge because last time we did a huge episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, last time we did one of these, Marianne had not actually seen any of the series i had held um, out yeah and and you know sort of worried which a lot of people still are very very concerned that this show is going to hurt them well that- i'm still very concerned even and i'm watching it i just i watch it in fear and watching it has increased actively increased the fear that i feel yeah so yeah but we I- can talk about that yeah, I mean, I, I sort of share that. I'm trying really, 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 really hard to be optimistic about it because I really, really like it. And I think that, as I've said elsewhere, I think that it is incredibly subversive and it is putting some pretty radical ideas out there in this very subtle and non-aggressive way. And well, I, I think that you have more reason to trust since you are a my so-called life fan, yeah, like you've you've got established trust in them, so yeah, which is cool. I'm like, I'm glad. We just we aren't like that. Yeah, totally yeah. different relationship. A little bit, and then <laughs> we don't have one. So, <laughs> so yes, I have. Watched all three episodes of Huge. I watched um, the first one and the second one and tweeted, or, well, I didn't tweet about it. I text messaged you sort of incessantly Mm -hmm. through the two hours of watching it. I got this great sort of like text message um, commentary track where and having seen the episodes like, you know, I would get this, you know, sort of exclamation point laden text and be like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what, you know, she, what part she's on. <laughs> <laughs> and like, wait till the next scene. 
<laughs> it's so true. Mm-hmm. And now I have watched the third one. Um, just for people listening, iTunes has the episodes available for download. Um, I know they're available on Hulu, but mm-hmm. those are only available for a temporary amount of time. I think when the season's over, they'll have them all up again. But right now, you can also purchase them commercial-free in high def for two ninety nine an episode. Mm-hmm. And, and that that may be good for you know people who cannot deal with the commercial annoyances of Hulu. I, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're a completely irrational commercial hater like I am. <laughs> so give us um, a little sort of rundown of your impressions so far, because I'm I'm sort of curious if you had to sum up what you think of this show right now. I, I find myself in an interesting position where I have summed it up a couple of times um, on the fat studies list and to other people who are like, oh, are you watching that show huge? What, what, what do we think about it? Um, <laughs> as each, like, as I have watched each episode, and I will admit to having rewatched as well, <laughs> as, as I have rewatched each episode, I am sort of more and more, I, I really believe in these characters mm-hmm. and like I get more involved in this narrative the more of it I watch. Mm-hmm. And as that happens, the stakes are raised. <laughs> so the more I am like totally in love with Will <laughs> as a character... <laughs> The more, if they fuck it up, I will hold a grudge for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because I'm a grudge holder. I mean, the last time I was really involved in a show was 1995. And that's when I quit TV. That's when I broke up with television. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I, I, I can hold a grudge, yo. And it's uh, it's the kind of show where I have heard people say... It is not appointment TV mm-hmm. because it's not, it, it's a little didactic. It's a little predictable in its polemic in some ways to some people, I guess. Mm-hmm. But as a person who is deeply affected by the experiences and just by the sight of so many like fat people not actively engaged in hating themselves, mm-hmm. it has become like... TV I will pay to see. I think something that sort of blew my mind about it, and I think I observed this on the Scrapped um, podcast as well, (laughs) that I've come, it's only been three episodes, and I have come to sort of think of this as this, like the the whole huge averse, I guess, as this sort of refuge, um, which is bizarre because it's set at a fat camp. Well, one of one that's of the, a, like yeah. that's about as anti-refuge as you can get, but I've come to really sort of think of it as this safe place to the extent that in the last episode when the bullies showed up, 
um, when, you know, they were sort of checking out their LARPing space. Tennis douches. The tennis douches. When they showed up, I was like, really, it was really jarring for me. It wasn't just, oh, shit, there's bullies. And like, oh, my God, I identify with all of these like terrified fatties right now. Um, It wasn't just that, although that did happen. It was also like, oh, there's assholes who are thin. I forgot. (laughs) Well, as we talked about in the last podcast, sort of in that context, there's something going on because, I mean, there's nothing in the theme song about this being a fat camp. They've changed the name of the camp. The, The first, like, affirmation they do in the morning is, I am grateful for my body. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's almost like the fat camp part of it is the excuse for having all of these people together to talk about these things and have these experiences. Well, it's almost like some secret radical fatty like decided they wanted to make a show and they realized, well, I have to put this in a context and sort of a box that people will be like, you know, where it'll it'll sort of like it'll work if I put it on television and I won't be incessantly hearing like, Oh my God, you're saying it's okay to be fat. And that's so not okay. Um, that I think it, it, it has this feel like to me, almost like the use of the fat camp is sort of sarcastic at this point. Well, they haven't, I mean, they had the weigh in at first Mm -hmm. and in the first episode, in the first scene, but the point of that scene is her strip tease, right? We don't actually see anybody, you know, crying at their weight. We have Becca's discussion of, you know, she lost some weight, she gained some weight, and then she blurts it out to Dr. Gina. But <laughs> I got you calling her Dr. I Gina. Know, I'm so <laughs> mad about that too. Um, <laughs> we we have yet to see anybody weigh in. I mean, we, even we Shay isn't. You know, Jillian Michaels 2.0. Even yeah. she isn't yelling at them about pounds lost yeah we haven't seen a single scale we haven't seen a measuring tape um we have seen nothing we have seen nothing that would seem to jibe with what happens at a fat camp aside from fat people being active none of those little pinchy calipers none of the calipers which i think they don't use anymore which is is pretty great um because those things were horrible, but you know they there's there's lots of activity. There's lots you see lots and lots of fat people like doing shit, but you see very little sort of tracking of progress, for lack of a better word. Actually, we see no tracking of progress. What I also appreciate is that we see fat people doing physical activity at varying levels. Yes, I mean there's a yoga scene in episode three and Alistair falls down. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even Will is doing downward dog. They're right. they're doing sun salutations. They're doing warrior pose. And mm-hmm. everyone is doing it. <laughs> they are not like I I I keep thinking, you know, as I watch sometimes, how incredibly different this is from the source material. Because in the source material a huge deal is made about how sort of desperately out of shape Will is. Mm. You know, but most of the scenes we see of of conversations in the LARP episode take place walking at a pretty good clip. Mm-hmm. 
You know, one of my favorite walking things. I I bet you caught this too. When they're coming down the hill, (laughs) when she slides, (laughs) they're they're coming. Basically, they're coming for people who haven't seen it. They're coming down this hill, and like Will, I mean, although this isn't just Will, this is Nikki Blonsky, sort of like starts to slide on some gravel and comes this close to totally wiping out and somehow manages to regain her balance. And the sweetest thing is that, um, uh, Ian is walking with her and he sort of moves like he's gonna catch her. <laughs> it was and, awesome. And I and don't see I don't see the director going, now skid on that yeah. path of And she sort of turns around, she's like, I'm good. And she just keeps walking and keeps the scene going. And I was like, dude, you're a pro. <laughs> Literally. You I know, mean, there's that was, a that was of, smooth. <laughs> there's a lot of like Nikki Blonsky acting chops in this episode because we have talked about the scene that follows with the tennis douches and her reaction yeah. to the guy that she goes to, to school with. Uh-huh. And yeah. it you were saying, you know, you don't just see fatties reacting with fear, but it's not just fear. Like no. they it's are incredibly enraged it's such a complex particularly i mean most of the shots on that scene are tend to be sort of focusing on will's face and she does this amazing sort of it's it's like it comes across in waves between when she first recognizes him there's almost this sort of wounded animal look and it it shifts between that and just this absolute rage till by the end of the the scene when they practically have to sort of lead her away she is like like physically vibrating like she's going to explode at any second and it it you don't really it's it's kind of surprising because as much as Will has you know built up this reputation, her character has built up this reputation as being this hard ass. You know you don't really see her this. I mean this is this is as angry as we've ever seen her, and as as completely emotional as we've ever seen her. And Nikki Blonsky in that scene does. I mean I was sort of it was it was really kind of heart wrenching to watch because you can see it just her eyes just tell you so much and i kind of i don't know if she's a method actor or what so i don't know <laughs> if she's using something you know from her past to generate that but she it's or i i you know i think i said before that i will never like this on nikki blonsky's acting ability again because that scene was just phenomenal yes there's a lot of shots of people's reactions you know and it's it's everyone's faces Mm -hmm. and it spends a lot of time sort of dwelling on i don't know silent response i guess Mm -hmm. which i think is really neat yeah you know it's it's not just in what is said I had read something that, and I I should hunt down the article because it was really interesting, that said that the way they were shooting this was kind of, because the way the show is shot is very, you you have a lot of tight shots of people's faces. Um, It's almost, it almost looks sort of rudimentary if you're not really thinking about it, but I had read something that was talking about that they really wanted to focus in on individuals and their reactions. And that's part of why a lot of the shots don't have anything else sort of going on where Mm -hmm. if two people are talking, you will get, 
you know, a tight shot of someone talking and then you will get a tight shot of the other person responding. And there are, there's a lot of sort of close-ups of in this series that are, are sort of, you know, I don't want to say unusual for, you know, this particular genre of television, but to some extent, I mean, it's, it's enough that I noticed it and I went looking for information <laughs> on why it was being <laughs> shot that way. Well, one of the other things I think that is interesting about that is that, once again, the sort of practical effect is that it it casts these characters as the sympathetic ones. Yes. You are meant to empathize with them. I mean, never ever have I seen in television where... I, I think Alistair is a good example of this. I mean, people are people are addressing his hygiene issue in this one mm-hmm. and never in television i think are you supposed to sympathize and empathize as deeply as you do with his character mm-hmm. the weird smelly fat kid yeah and i mean that that's i spent most of the episode like incredibly tense <laughs> well <laughs> because this, i was waiting yeah. for someone to fuck that storyline all up this this show seems to be so invested in getting its audience to identify with the fat kids who very often are sort of relegated to a sidekick status or a kid who is bullied maybe by, you know, if you have a, a, a teenage drama, you know, there's probably a fat kid who gets picked on by the you know, the villains, um, and, you know, maybe the hero will say something nice to them or will be sympathetic, but you're never supposed to identify with the fat kid who is being bullied. And this is very different, particularly in the, the tennis douche scene, where, you know, you really, the way it's shot, the way it's set up, you're really supposed to be seeing this from the perspective of these kids who are being picked on, and you're supposed to identify with what they're going through. And that is kind of amazing and radical. I guess. And it's, well, I don't, I don't guess. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, I unequivocally, unequivocally think this show is kind of, you know, is, is kind of totally radical in that kind way. Kind of totally. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> you hush. You're undermining me. Ah. Sorry. Um, that's okay. I think it's totally revolutionary. And yeah. that's one reason why I am so glad that it is a show. Like, I was um, I, I was reading sort of a, a response that was like, why do we have to have a show about fat people and they're fat? Why? And I'm like, you know, I'm glad we do. I think we need this. I and, think, yeah. Go, sorry, and go I think that it's being handled in exactly the way it needs to be handled and thus far it is being handled in exactly the way I would want it to be handled I mean because you aren't just fat in a vacuum you're fat in our culture which leads to certain things and you're fat in a culture that's not designed for fat people which leads to you know issues with clothes or you know whatever else Mm -hmm. so I, I think that a show that did not address, you know, the the fact that these people are fat and the issues that they are experiencing because of that would be completely dishonest. I think that the fact that this show is 
being so candid in recognizing while not sort of overemphasizing you know sort of the the great tragedy of fatness you know these are people who are fat and as a result you know there are certain things that you know certain experiences that are are you know common amongst them and you know i get the argument and i've heard it a million times before from a million different shows i get the argument that you know why can't we just have someone who's fat and it's not made a big deal I kind of see that, but that to me is sort of like the colorblind argument, yeah, which is really stupid and insulting. Um, the colorblind argument is sort of like, I don't see race, I just see people. And, you know, it, it sounds like this really awesome and liberal way of thinking, but really what it's doing is diminishing and denying the different experiences of people who are not white. And I feel like the whole why can't people just be fat and have it? I mean, sure. Yeah. You know what? It would be nice if we just had random fat characters on every television show and it just wasn't a big deal. Like they were just there like an actor like anyone else. We don't live in that world yet. We really we, don't. <laughs> we might at some point in the future live in that world. But right now we don't live in that world just like we don't live in a world without racism so that you can say, oh, I don't see race and not sound like a douchebag. And <laughs> I, feel, I feel like, sorry, was that harsh? <laughs> it was beautiful. I, I feel as though, you know, that, I feel as though this show is extra radical because it's so forthcoming. Because it doesn't try to sugarcoat this. Because it's, you know, yeah, these are fat kids. And you know what? We're going to make you sympathize and identify with them in a way that you've probably never done before. Yeah. And that is an enormously radical, hugely even radical <laughs> approach to this, to, to this issue, particularly considering that, you know, with with kids, kids are so prone to bullying people who are different for whatever reason. They're different. And that's not because kids are evil. It just has to do with being egocentric and child development and it just it, it sucks but it happens and it's part Lord of, of the fly yeah I mean we can definitely I don't want to say like oh we can't control or stop bullying so we should just ignore it that's not what I'm saying but what I'm saying is the tendency toward that behavior is sort of a natural evolution of you know teenager development well one of the beautiful things about being you know a human is that we have instincts towards certain things but we also have higher thought capacity yeah so when you know teenagers display the tendency to bully they can be sort of trained out of it right so i mean yes i totally get what you're saying and i feel like you know this is just a, a an amazing it's amazing it's more amazing to me that they are so overt about these kids, I mean, because these kids, and these kids aren't even, these aren't even Hollywood fat kids. These are actual fat people. There, there are death fats yeah. on this show, which is running amazing. around, yeah, running around doing and stuff. doing shit, and not like you know, sitting in a corner crying with like Circuit a training. with a tub of frosting in one hand and you know a, a can of Easy Cheese in the other. <laughs> We're not. They're not, not made up. Seeing that. <laughs> They're not made up to be an obvious mockery either. I mean, Beck is a stone cold geek, mm -hmm. but it's awesome. I mean, it's not where, you mm -hmm. know, the 
none of them are being portrayed as the butt of the joke the way like many other well I say many but there's been so few the way other fat people on television tend to be mm-hmm. you know nobody nobody's costumed in a way that makes them the visual butt of the joke nobody is set up as automatically the one that we laugh at right or you know it's more evolved it's more trying to push us in the direction of laughing with yes. these kids when you know stuff goes awry and it's not i mean the first when the first episode aired i was sort of checking twitter to see like you know what are what is the standard audience for this sh- you know the, who you know their their demographic what are they yeah. saying and there was a lot of mockery on Twitter and it was it was interesting because it started off really strong and then it sort of started to flag toward the end of the episode I don't know if a lot of them just turned off the TV and after that first episode I haven't seen any while it's because I'll check while it's actually airing just to see and I've sort of you know it, it blew my mind because I'm thinking you know what though these for a lot of the kids who you know are watching whatever comes on before the show I forget confessions of a American teenager or something. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, who are hanging around and leaving huge on their knee jerk reaction is going to think, Oh, there's fatties. I'm supposed to laugh at them because that's what culturally we're told you're supposed to do when you see fat people, particularly fat people engaging in activity, which is so hypocritical and, and ridiculous. Like, I'm not even going to get into that, that, you know, like fat people are lazy and stupid and you should make fun of them, even if they're trying to be active and fit. Especially (laughs) if they're trying to be active and fit. Those stupid losers. For real. (laughs) Let's not make any workout clothes that fit that. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's off topic. Yeah, sorry. My personal bitterness is showing. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's that it it. It was fascinating to me to see it, to see this this automatic knee-jerk reaction of, you know, this is hilarious because look at these stupid fat people. And eventually, you know, I, I don't know if, again, it was because these kids just stopped watching or if it was because they started to actually realize like, oh, wait, these are characters. There, There's people in that fat. We're, that we're that I can I can relate to. <laughs> we're reminded of that mindset though in this third episode with the introduction of the tennis douches. Yeah, and I can't. I they're so horrible. Like mm-hmm. they are so horrible. And one of the things we discussed in our ill-fated attempted recording was the sort of. I mean, it's incredibly deliberate that it's a tennis camp. I mean, yeah. that sends all sorts of sort of class messages. Yeah. And the, the kid, I, I, I looked up the guy's name, the, the lead tennis douche, <laughs> tennis douche, who reminds me so much of the kid who killed himself in Dead Poets Society. If right. you haven't seen Dead Poets Society, I'm sorry, I just spoiled it for you, but it's an old <laughs> That's a hell of a spoiler, man. <laughs> Oops. It's, it's Robert Sean Leonard. It's the guy from House. Yeah, well, he also was in Swing Kids. He did a lot of great movies. <laughs> he did, but I totally forgot that he's on TV right yeah, now. Yeah. He's Wilson. I don't watch TV. I'm like, why does that kid look so freaking familiar? But it's that very upper crust, mm-hmm. educated, floppy hair, 
jawline thing. I mean, mm-hmm. that kid has had some serious orthodontia in addition to, you know, breeding that goes back to the Mayflower. Yeah. Yeah, the the tennis, the fact that it's a tennis camp is is really, I think, you know, the example I had used was like the only way it could have been more white upper class would be if it were like a polo camp, (laughs) (laughs) which I don't think they have polo camps. Um, I don't know. I'm not a member of of that set. I know that tennis camps exist because, truth be told, I actually attended a tennis camp as a fat child, and I was actually really good at it. I miss tennis a lot. I played tennis for many years, but... um, yeah, so that sort of uh, flies in the face of what we were just saying. Yeah, <laughs> tennis camps. But <laughs> well, there's the reality, and then there's the sort of message that it sends that yeah. this is a tennis camp, and yeah. like off that person enjoying tennis. I actually took tennis lessons, and I really enjoyed tennis as well. Tennis so. is awesome. It well, is it. It's a great sport. <laughs> it is. I encourage everyone. Plus, the short little skirts are a lot of fun. Yeah. So. It's, oh, I hate them. And they're sitting in the woods drinking beer. They are obviously the spoiled delinquents Mm -hmm. who are there to ruin the lives of the fat kids. Well, one of the things that sort of blew my mind about that scene is that I, you know, when it started, I was kind of like, it, 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 I I was freaking out a little bit inwardly because I kept thinking, I remember these kids. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember this shit. I remember one of the things um, Head Douchebag does is when, you know, once Becca sort of convinces Will, they should go and not, you know, continue to, you know, sort of have the standoff with the tennis douches. And she's sort of walking away and Head Douche makes this comment about, yeah, back that ass up. And then he makes these sort of sound effects. The squishing noises? Yeah. And I was, and I, li- I mean, it, it's sort of, it, like I said, I had a little freak out because I'm thinking, God, I remember those kids. I remember getting sound effects, be- you know, bellowed at me. I remember I, you know, a while ago I, I blogged about the story of the kid in middle school who called me obese as though that were my name instead of Leslie. <laughs> and like, literally like he did this for like two years where I, and it was the sort of the ultimate in dehumanizing. It was, it was very, very effective. And, um, you know, I imagine this kid has grown up to be like a serial killer or something. If he was so, if it was so, you know, gratifying for him to completely dehumanize someone like that. But I don't know, maybe he's not a serial killer. Maybe he's, I don't know, dead or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably a, Perfectly lovely. No, he's not. He's or, or in jail or, you know, beating up his wife or something. I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's, I, I, you know, really have a lot of anger, clearly, um, toward this kid and toward all the kids that bullied me um, for being fat. And so watching this scene was really this visceral experience for me. And I think part of why I was so moved by will's reaction and nikki blonsky's acting in it is because i was like god i remember that rage i remember feeling like i am going to and i actually have journals where i wrote about this rage and they're scary shit like like if i had these journals post columbine and someone found them i probably would have been pulled out of school because i had this extreme rage and 
it, it, you know, you have, you feel so helpless. You have this anger and you feel so completely helpless to do anything about it because who's going to stand up for you? And if you stand up for yourself, you're the one who's going to get in trouble for it. He, he calls her Raider by her last name. He doesn't even give her her first name. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's definitely that dehumanization, depersonalizing of it there. I mean, he's denying her any of her own identity and later when the whole group is there he's he calls them all like butterballs i think he calls them butter trolls we butter actually trolls. Dennis, yes. dennis watched it with me and we actually had to rewind that a couple of times to catch it but i think he says butter trolls which is it's even better it's and by better kind of, i mean worse well i mean if i said it it would be really funny but yeah. <laughs> when he says it it's it's horrible so Yes. I and the other, the other thing that happens when they come upon the LARP battle is the, the girl douchebag says, you know, she's laughing hysterically and she says there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, it's, you know, I don't even know, like, like it's a, a swarm of bees or something, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, they're like, you know, you've never seen this many fat people in your life in one place, seriously. I mean, maybe she hasn't if she's I, going to tennis camp. I think she probably hasn't. And I think a lot of people don't because there's the kid who, like, we talked about, um, I can't remember if we talked about it in like the anti-recording or in the first huge episode or what, but um, Ian's realization that he is fat comes because he is standing next to the designated fat kid. Right. So I think that even though, even though fat people are everywhere, there's still, especially at that age, the designated fat person. Mm-hmm. And other people may not read as fat. Like, they don't read Amber as fat at all. Mm-hmm. She's a totally normal person to them. Amber passes, which I think <laughs> yeah. is fascinating. In this episode, um, she comes upon the douchebag brigade. And when they're, you know, sitting in the woods drinking their beer, and they just immediately assume that she goes to the tennis camp. And, you know, start, like, head douchebag makes a comment about, you know, you should get on, you know, my, under, like, you know, work with my counselor or whatever, like, wherever his you group is. You should be on my twosome or whatever. Whatever. Doubles. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, they, and they all sort of automatically respond to her. And girl douchebag is all like, you know, that's a really cute talk. I like well, your talk. Yeah. And it's sort of the the amazing sort of, like, like Judas moment <laughs> of the episode <laughs> is when they find the the LARP, the battling fatties at the LARP, and Trent sort of sees Amber and is like, Amber! And, you know, one of the douchebags, I forget which one, sort of turns to her and is like, do you know that guy? And Amber, without even, like, pausing, shakes her head and says no with this sort of grimace. And... You know, I feel like I've, there were somebody um, commented to my recap, sort of defending Amber. Amber, and I don't want to be like, oh my god, she's a hateful bitch and and she should die because I don't really. Although I did wish intestinal parasites <laughs> on her. Um. <laughs> you know, here's the thing: like, I completely understand why she does it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make it right, and it doesn't make me think good things about her. Like she and Chloe, I I. I do understand their motivations in this episode, and I do kind of sympathize with them, mm-hmm. but they're mean girls. 
and it's born of incredible insecurity. It it and is, and it's, it's it doesn't like it. I have never like I've been kind of like okay, I I kind of like them. I I loathe them both in this episode. Yeah, and understanding their motivation and sympathizing with their plight doesn't change the fact that they are awful. They really, they really are. And I, I had, again, another very... Because obviously this whole episode is really about bullying in various forms. And I had another incredibly visceral response when um, Becca is sort of hiding because Will basically Will sort of steamrolls Becca's LARP with the idea of just getting as many fatties in the woods as possible so that she can have her revenge on the tennis douches and Becca being, you know, sort of reserved and, and, you know, not really wanting to confront her about this just hides when, you know, right before the LARP is supposed to start and Will comes into the cabin and can't find her because she's hiding in the bathroom and leaves and, uh, Amber and Chloe come in and they sit down and they're, you know, talking and Becca is trying to read. And, and by talking, <sighs> you mean passive aggressively sniping at each other, don't you? Right. We? Yes. And making fun of Becca, too. Yeah. In this very sort of you don't exist way. And that, again, I, I seriously felt like I, if I could get into this television right now, I would fucking end you both. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you have Becca, who is the geek, who is someone that a lot of us can really, really powerfully relate to. And this is not to diminish the fact that I know there are lots of us who can also relate to both Amber and Chloe. And I'm not saying that you guys are bad people, but for me having been the kid that was picked on and pretty much never the kid who did any bullying myself that was in i just it 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 made me so mad because girls can be so horrible like a boy boys fight and a boy comes up and punches a boy and they roll around for a while and they get up and they go their separate ways girls make tr like consciously will try to make each other commit suicide <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't stop like yeah. it's it's all four years of high school if you don't change schools and it starts in grade school it's going to continue it'll go on forever yeah. yes you know it's it's disgusting and it i is. mean it's part of the way we're socialized but it's it's disgusting and it just, you know, it, it, I, my own, as I said, because I am not someone who could ever relate to an Amber or a Chloe. And I do automatically, particularly after the LARPing episode, relate to Becca, particularly, basically, Becca is sort of the person that I was in middle school and part of high school. And then I turned into Will, <laughs> <laughs> like right around that 17, 18 year old, you know, period, I sort of turned into her. And so I, this is why, and I've seen a lot of comments from people who are like, Will is such an asshole. And yeah, she kind of is, but these are the people, you know, I also think Amber and Chloe are assholes. So I think that anyone at that age has a certain element of assholeness going on because it's just part of growing up. I also think that Will is the kind of asshole who will learn. Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't necessarily think Amber and Chloe are going to stop mm -hmm. being passive aggressive snipers. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I feel so protective of Becca <laughs> because... Yeah. I just, I, 
they need to stop mm-hmm. being mean to her. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, I feel like Will is an asshole, but Will is a, a well-intentioned asshole in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, her intent is based on revenge, but she also, you know, is, is genuinely trying to help Becca yes. attract people to the LARP. She mm-hmm. just kind of steamrollers. And I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, especially at that age. I mean, when you're not necessarily thinking about nuance and, yeah. and the subtlety of the story. You know, she wants Becca's LARP to be a success, and she wants to get revenge on these tennis douches. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I try not to talk about Will very much. I'm biased. but <laughs> Well, she does look like you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Although weird. You're, you're actually tall compared to Will, so that must be different for you. <laughs> I'm making a face at you. <laughs> That scene where they're like walking in the woods. Ian is a really tall character. No, well, he's, he's not. not. A call- he's he, he looks very tall to it's me. It's because Nikki Blonsky is tiny. She's he like she still like, looks tall. He looks sh- tall next to normally sized people. She's like four foot ten. I actually I, look this up. I know. <laughs> I looked it up too. <laughs> but he is also, I think, kind of tall. Maybe not by my standards. <laughs> but I'm yes. I, it's a silent glare, <laughs> but it can't be silent because we're recording a podcast. So I am narrating my glare at you. I'm, I'm always so grateful that these aren't video. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking, speaking of bullying victims, I also want, and I know you do too, want to talk about Alistair. I want to talk about Alistair. I do want to give George, like, I kind of love George in this episode. I think we all sort of learned to love George a bit in this episode. Yeah, I I really loved George in this episode. And I was, I had to stop the, 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 sh- the episode in the middle of, like, him trying to talk to Alistair because I had to like brace myself for it to all go horribly wrong. And I spent the whole scene, like the, the evolution of his conversation with Alistair and the culmination of it with the shower, sort of yelling at it and (laughs) ready for him to fuck it up. And I think I actually like texted you that he was going to, he's going to fuck this up. You did. You did. I was like, no, he's not. (laughs) And he did and I love George. Well, I think just to to cover this uh, part of the this sort of subplot, basically at the beginning of the third episode, when they're doing their affirmations of all times, Trent comes up in his you know sort of slimy way, tells Ian that he needs to tell Alistair to start taking showers because he smells bad, and it progresses through the episode where they're making fun of him for stinking and you know it sort of culminates in when poor Ian tries 
like really hard the whole episode to come up with a way to sort of constructively tell Alistair that he needs to take a shower. And eventually George does it in an incredibly sensitive and not making it a big deal way. And Alistair's response isn't, I mean, George sort of approaches it like, well, Alistair probably doesn't know. And he's sort of saying, you know, you're more active and you're going to sweat more. And he's sort of easing into it. And it turns out Alistair is completely aware, but he's not comfortable showering because apparently they have communal showers, which is the stupidest thing on earth to put in a fat camp. Well, the girls don't have communal showers, though, because when um, her replacement, Caitlin, with the anxiety disorder, when when Danny was sobbing in the bathroom, she was doing that in a shower stall, I think. I thought that was like a closet. Maybe it was a closet. I don't know. It's, I, I can't tell. (laughs) But I mean, it's still totally common for there to be different restroom experiences for girls and boys. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not surprised that they have a communal shower, just because things that are organized for teenagers don't respect their privacy at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's kind of the cultural thing is that teenagers don't get privacy. Well, I also wanted to sort of talk about the whole Alistair is gay yes. issue. Yeah, and I know you have thoughts about this too. Well, that's- because. Well, we have yet to, the only use of the word so far has come from Dante when they're, he's sitting at, I think it's breakfast with Trent and Amber and Chloe, and they're talking about how bad Alistair smells. And he does reference the never-ending story, which I thought was kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm angry because I don't want him making fun of him. But at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, kids know the never-ending story. Didn't even <laughs> care. I wanted to go, like, dump their breakfast down their pants. I was so mad at them because Alistair is like a kitten. I want to snuggle him. Well, basically, they're making fun. And Chloe, you know, is like, Chloe's laughing hysterically yeah. because, you know, that's what girls like that do. And finally, she's like, wait a second, who are we talking about again? And Dante's response is that gay kid, Alistair. And I I still, I know people have um, argued with me about this. I still don't think that gay was used as an insult there. Um, The way the line is delivered to me, and I've rewound it and watched it about a million times on Hulu, it sounds to me descriptive and not like that faggot you know, Alistair. It sounds like he's simply, you know, like you would say the black kid, you know, whatever. Like this is this is one of his distinguishing characteristics yeah. that, you know, which is what teenagers, you know, teenagers yeah. tend to identify people based on stupid shit. <laughs> yeah, so. I don't I don't think it was necessarily meant as an insult, but it was still coming from somebody who only sees Alistair in a certain way. Right. It's not and this is the sort of the the reason I was IMing you earlier today because my problem with it is not even that I think narratively it's going to turn out incorrect. I mean, I, I it's television and yeah. it's it's ABC Family. I mean, he is probably like statistically speaking, he is probably going to be the gay character. But I think it is incredibly problematic for us as viewers to determine his sexual orientation based on a douchebag who's making fun of him mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, he he's the weird kid. 
I had I had later put down, you know, when I was recapping, I put down that Alistair doesn't want to shower because of body shame. Yeah. And I got a slew of comments from people. No, no, no. It's because he's gay. And like, I think that he was just coming out to George, da, 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 which, you know, could be true. But I have a real, real stick up my ass about this. Um, I have had this stick up my ass going back to high school when I had closeted mm-hmm. gay friends. And I really, really ferociously believe that you do not ever get to identify someone's sexual orientation for them. I don't care if they're dressing up like Liza and singing show tunes. You don't get to say that guy is gay unless he identifies himself as gay. And that it's such a privilege entitlement thing to identify someone like that without, and I am, I'm sounding very angry and passionate right now because I really do feel this strongly about that to impose that on someone in that way without considering we haven't heard from Alistair on this subject at all. This is, this episode was the first time we heard the word gay used in connection with him. And it was used, as you said, by a kid who was in the process of making fun with him. So I'm going to take a guess and say Dante probably doesn't know Alistair that well, such that, you know, Alistair may have come to him at some point and said, Hey dude, I'm gay, but don't tell anybody else. It's also, I think, incredibly dismissive of the body shame that men can have. I mean, yes. Alistair is one of the biggest people at that camp. Mm-hmm. He's not an athlete. I mean, Trent is a big dude, but he's a football player. It's a different kind of fat. Yeah. You know, Alistair, from the very first moment we see him, is about covering himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, Nikki Blonsky is wearing her clothes, but he is covered from his head on down, as covered as he can be in a towel. Like, like a, a bat sheet towel. Yeah. Like a burka. Like, <laughs> yes. It's, I mean, he, is, he has covered himself as much as possible. We've never seen him, you know, comfortably displaying his body. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is not something you can easily dismiss. You know, I, I don't think the kid is comfortable being naked around other people. And I think that that could feasibly be because he's gay and in the shower with a bunch of dudes but it could also be a whole combination of things and again we don't get to pick people's sexual orientation and sexual identity for them i also feel like denying that even if it's related to his sexual orientation arguing that that is not a form of body shame is also really short-sighted yeah. That even if he is gay and even if it is because he's uncomfortable being this gay kid naked in the shower, that's still a form of body shame. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll stop being so serious now. Well, I mean, I think it's I, I don't think we should have to stop being serious. I mean, I think that that's one thing that the show is doing right is that it is taking these very serious issues that fat people of all ages experience in, you know, in, in different ways and discussing them, you know, and, and being really unflinching about them. Can we talk about the sniff? Yes. Because that was such an awesome, awesome little moment that 
to anyone. I mean, that that was a scene that spoke so directly to the fears and insecurities of actual fat kids that it almost made me weepy that they're, you know, sort of basically they're walking. It's right after Nikki Blonsky almost falls down. (laughs) And and, um, Ian sort of like pulls her aside while Alistair and Becca walk ahead and says he has a question for her. And he wants to know how do you tell someone that they smell? Well, she and, first has to make sure it's not about Amber. Right. That's who I was in about Amber. And yeah. he's like, well, why would it be about why? Amber? It's it's cute. Yeah. Why uh, on <laughs> earth would you think? I would be curious. <laughs> I'm so subtle. Yeah. <laughs> he's but Rico Suave. He really is. He really is. Uh, but yeah, so he, you know, sort of asks Will, you know, how do you tell someone? And she's like, you just do. She's like, I would want to know. And he agrees, I would want to know. And they have this conversation about where Ian says, that's like my biggest fear that I smell and I don't know. And like, you know, no one has told me. And that it, it is something that, I mean, even fat adults can sort of relate to because that is such a profound stereotype of fat people is unhygienic and smelly and and I worried about it today I had to go to the lady (laughs) doctor and I didn't have a morning appointment (laughs) like I had to get up and do shit and then go to work and then leave work and run and rush and run around and it's hot in Florida right now if y'all don't know the heat index was 101 today and I got to the office and I was like well well shit We're going to have some intimate moments, and I don't know if I feel fresh. So, I mean, I I think it's 100% something that, you know, fat adults can be incredibly concerned about. And the the best part of this whole thing is... It's not even something he asks her to do, but like no. Will, Will just sort of intuits, and she kind of leans over, all stiff-armed, and like just sort of sniffs. Well, she's right at armpit level anyway <laughs> she because is. she's a beanie, and she kind of sniffs. She leans over and she sniffs, and she's like, "You smell fine." And it's just this—it's this incredibly—it's a—it's a—it's a sweet scene for me because it's like this is something only a friend would do for you. That you know would would be willing to sniff you and reassure you that you do not smell. And, and I it's just not even he smells fine. He smells like fabric softener, <laughs> which I'm not sure I hundred percent believe, given that they've been out walking around. But <laughs> but he smells like fabric softener. It's yeah. dreamy. It's just such a sweet little yeah. The chemistry of that scene is just adorable, and I I really loved it. I just thought it was it was a great little moment. I I thought it was totally totally cute. Yeah, I um I really enjoy Becca enthusiastically explaining her world, mm-hmm. um, her created world to Alistair, and him being super into it as well. Mm-hmm. Just the sort of genuine geeky enthusiasm so i think both conversations were playing out really well in that one yeah and i i feel like and i feel like the the cast has this great camaraderie and this great chemistry that is i mean you it's it's hard to sort of generate or fake that that it just feels very genuine and it feels the characters feel there there really are no aside from the jillian michaels what's it 
there really is no one on on this series right now who feels like you know this totally shallow and transparent what's the word I'm looking for? It just flew out of my head. Stereotype or caricature. You know, nobody, everyone has this complex personality and this complex set of circumstances. And who knows, maybe the Jillian Michaels thing will as well at some point. I don't know. Somebody commented on one of my recaps is that I think that saying that they thought that the Jillian Michaels uh, thing would be... (laughs) I'm sorry, I keep calling her that. Uh, The character's name is Shay, and I'm sure the actress is a lovely, lovely woman, but I hate this character so much. Somebody commented and was like, oh, okay, Shay is going to turn out to be a lesbian, and she will have had a relationship with the camp director... (laughs) With the rain ago, yeah, and that's why she's all like, "Oh, but we had campfires all every night," and she <laughs> was hysterical. Yeah. Well, the other weird thing about that whole the whole Lorraine thing is um, at the end of the first conversation about the mythical Lorraine. Does does Doctor Gina say something like, "If you can, like, too bad no one can find her"? That that. I watched that part like five times. That is totally, I think, what she says. And I'm, I mean, obviously this is going to become, you know, a, a plot device later <laughs> on. But I thought that was sort of like, that was one of those things where it's like, whoa, like, what the hell does that mean? And then Shay later makes a comment to George where she's trying to make George be mean, which yeah. it's like, yeah, it's it's like, you know, telling a kitten to go scare a pack of it's lions. true. And he tries to be mean. He really does. And it doesn't she, work at all. She, Shay makes a comment about, you know, I don't want to repeat of what happened last year. Yeah. So we're all sitting there going, well, what happened, what happened last, last year? year? <laughs> make me look good. I'm like, obviously you didn't look so good last year. Shit. Mm-hmm. You know what, though? I did have one moment where I, I had a brief moment of, like, the actress doing this is brilliant. Hmm. Um, they're doing yoga. And... Uh, Sorry, I had to cough. They're doing okay. yoga, and she's in warrior pose, and she's going on about the strength and the grace, and then she screams yeah. at, like, Trent and Dante to stop fucking around. And then she goes right back into her, you know, the feel the stretch and the wonderful piece of yoga and <laughs> just the the sort of... <laughs> Yeah, the, the extreme character divide there was yeah. really fantastically funny to me. That she's got the like, she's got the walk down, mm-hmm. you know, and it's I don't know. It it gave me hope. It yeah. gave me hope because if Shay is like the comedic device now, <laughs> then then this show really is that that subversive. I think that it's it's pretty clear that her character is there to be annoying. And, I mean, the, the Jillian Michaels connection, although I make lots of jokes about it, is is undeniable. I mean, she even sort of looks like Jillian oh, Michaels. Totally. You know, so I think that her position there as this persistently unlikable character it, even even when she's funny she's still really unlikable yeah. is another sort of subtle commentary about what we consider a, 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 a 
you know, good fat person role model. It should be this person who screams at you. And while she hasn't been overtly abusive, she definitely, I mean, it's like when Alistair falls down doing yoga and I mean, literally he is on the ground for like half of a second when she is shrieking at him to get up and yep. it it's not overtly abusive now it, it turns out it's also alistair in the first episode where basically everybody gets to camp and they meet shay and she immediately takes them running yeah which blew my mind i mean that yeah this this is this is the smart thing to do you want to take a bunch of uh, hypothetically out of shape kids and get them running in the summer heat yeah with you know and when one of them stops alistair stops at one point to catch his breath she runs up to him and starts screaming in his face and demands that he do jumping jacks yeah because that's a good idea yeah you know if someone is is needing to catch their breath what you want them to do is more heavy physical activity like jumping jacks and so you know the the abusiveness is sort of it's less overt than than biggest loser shit but it's it's definitely there and i think that that's they're 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 phrase they're framing a commentary on how i think the fact that we're supposed to relate to the kids who are being shrieked at is is put is turning our cultural idea not you yours and mine but in general for most people who watch shows yeah. like The Biggest Loser for kids who watch shows like The Biggest Loser it's sort of turning that upside down and instead of rooting with Jillian and being like yeah you stupid fucking fat person run yeah. or whatever you know you're instead you're meant to side and identify with the people being screamed at which yeah. The Biggest Loser could I mean that could not be more the opposite of the point of that show. The point of that show is never to identify with these, you know, completely dehumanized people. I think that we need to talk about the muffin. And I yes. think that you need to tell the muffin campfire style. <laughs> Let's see if I can do this again. Flashlight under your double chin. Dr. Gina goes into the kitchen to talk to her dad who is making muffins and she says wow it smells really great in here and her dad says I made these awesome muffins and I made them with flaxseed and oatmeal and I used applesauce instead of butter which you can actually do a lot in baking or you can use it instead of oil and you wouldn't know the difference it's sort of remarkable so he's telling her you know I so they're healthy and they're great muffins and they're these teeny tiny little muffins like they're they're little bitty not even like they're like mini mini muffins they're like the diameter of a quarter and an yeah. inch tall and he says here have a tiny little muffin he doesn't say tiny little muffin but i'm saying tiny little muffin have a tiny little muffin and dr gina says no i don't eat after dinner ever and she does this what i call a pearl clutching motion where she sort of i think marianne you had identified as she's like physically restraining herself yeah. from reaching out and taking the muffin and i feel like if she was wearing pearls she would have been clutching at them that's where her hands go and he's you know she she apologizes she's you know i'm sorry like her dad is real broken up about that i guess i don't know and he puts it on a little plate and he hands it to her and he says well take it and you can have it tomorrow and so she walks back to her cabin with her muffin and she's trying to write an email to i believe it's to her mom it is to, to her mom 
to tell to, for the hundredth time to try to tell her mom that her dad is there and she's struggling with this email and she's typing and she's backspacing and she's trying to speak from the heart and it's just not working and the muffin is staring at her with its little beady muffin eyes and we get like three or four cutaway shots of this muffin just taunting her with its muffininess and she's typing and finally she just you know she you can see it in her face she's so tense and she doesn't know how to say it and she turns and looks at the plane and the muffin is gone ah! <laughs> it was actually kind of a crazy i i sort of gasped when it happened because um i was like like where did the muffin go <laughs> She ate the muffin. <laughs> but it is this because you she literally at at the point where you realize it's gone, she's sort of making a gesture like she's reaching for it. Yeah. And but it's already there's just like some little muffin crumbs <laughs> that are left on the plate. So it's not even like the muffin got up and walked away. Like no. obviously the muffin was obliterated. <laughs> she ate the hell out of that she ate little the, muffin. She ate the hell out of that muffin. And she has another sort of pearl clutching moment after she makes the realization that, oh my god, I ate after dinner. What now? Yeah, the, it's all gone to hell. The thing. The thing with the muffin. <laughs> she didn't put the muffin in, like, a Ziploc bag or anything. No. I, I, obviously, she intended to eat the muffin. Not obviously, but I feel like if she had put the muffin in a Ziploc bag like a sensible person, so it would have been fresh tomorrow. She could have avoided this whole issue. Well, I think it's it's sort of a shocking scene, and it really, if comments on my recap or anything go by, it seemed to, to affect a lot of people pretty profoundly. Oh, totally. Be because it does speak to that eating disorder mentality of, yeah. you know, uh, not being in control, of not being having an awareness of what is going you know how you're feeding yourself which is part of the fear and the execution of an eating disorder and it it was this very dramatic and sort even i i it sounds ridiculous but it was scary like mm -hmm. the way you know i make the funny you know campfire story joke out of it but it was a scary moment where because the shock on her face like obviously she she you know there's this sort of oh my god the, I ate the, the muffin. <laughs> the interesting thing about her and the thing that contributes to the scariness of it for me is that, well, like in, in a narrative setting, she's the authority figure. Mm -hmm. She's the success story. Mm -hmm. And she is, I mean, when you, when you talk about those quote unquote success stories, they're full of, you know, I finally got my life back under control la 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 i i can control myself it seems to be can, very much I can about get married and go to paris yeah <laughs> they don't let fat people into france they don't let them get married either no, that's illegal I... that's illegal now hey. <laughs> <laughs> better I tell my it. husband <laughs> oops um i i think that you know she has that moment and there is that you know, sort of thing where she did not control her interaction with that muffin. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she did. It was an emotional eating kind of moment. And I, I think that that speaks to the sort of increasing lack of control that she has. I mean, she started out not super confident, but her, can we talk about that phone call to the 
tennis douche head co- head coach, I guess, camp most, owner guy. Most I mean, awkward voicemail. <laughs> most awkward voicemail ever, and her her sort of control over her life in general is eroding. I mean, this thing with her dad, she's <laughs> lying to her mom by omission and not saying that dad is there. She and is being defied by Becca. Mm-hmm. Who is like and, the least likely person in camp to defy anyone. And it's, the whole I'm not satisfied. I yeah. thought that was that was hilarious in this very sad way. That she leaves this horrible rambling voicemail that she knows is going wrong and she keeps trying to to bring it back together and it's just, anyone who's left a terrible rambling voicemail knows how this goes it's and it's yeah it's clear that she has some sort of pre some existing relationship with the guy who runs the tennis camp because with there's a married guy who yeah. runs tennis camp there's there's so much awkwardness and and she's so like physically it manifests physically as she's sort of gesturing while she's trying to leave this message and you know at the end it in in the absolute like brilliant ending part where it gets cut off at the end which is you know sort of the final the final stroke on any awkward voicemail (laughs) and that automated voicemail voice comes on and it says you know if you are satisfied with your message then please whatever and she goes to press a button and i guess presses the wrong one and it gets sent and she's like i'm not satisfied i'm not satisfied (laughs) and it was it it was sort of like i said it was sort of tragically funny yeah because you know that it's in reference to this voicemail that she has just sent and but it's also seems to be in reference to everything else going on in her life i have to say i cheered when head 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 douche i guess when head douche showed up and accused her kids of being on his property and being threatening and she knows exactly where they are and she says to him you know my kids don't harass they get harassed yeah but it's it's such a complicated issue because will made threats Mm -hmm. you know there there's such a such a push and pull there because i think sometimes fat kids do and and sometimes fat adults do turn into the bullies the oppressors you know as as a defense mechanism and i mean mm-hmm. i thoroughly believe that guy needed a punch in the nuts mm-hmm. but i also think that in the context of my kids don't harass they get harassed it it was an interesting way to play with that well i think even will's threats come you know it's not like they're happening in a vacuum no, I think not at that's, all i think that that's really sort of the the critical difference is that if the tennis douchebags hadn't shown up and immediately i mean the first thing he says after raider which is will's last name is so you finally decided to put down the cake yeah that he you know starts in on her immediately yeah without i'm, I'm not saying <laughs> that you know there was no provocation and no justification for it oh, yeah, i yeah, just I, I think I it's interesting that that we do sort of become the oppressors sometimes. Well, I think I think what's fascinating is that Will's response is for one thing probably in this case born out of uh, many years of torment yeah. by this guy. And aside from that, it's born from 
not having any other way to, and this is true of a lot of us, not having any other way to defend yourself aside from, you know, and this is probably a little more true for guys than it is for girls, but because girls, generally speaking, are less likely to resort to violence, although that's not universally true. It, it tends, we're socialized less to resort to that. Um, a lot of times the only sort of response that you have is, well, I'm a lot bigger than them. I could probably kick their ass. Yeah. And that does happen, you know, pretty frequently that you'll have a fat kid who has enough and they just kick the fucking shit out of whoever is bullying them because they have sort of the momentum and the weight to be able to, to take down a skinny kid with relative ease. And then they get in trouble because they're the bigger kid and it's a completely fucked up system. It makes me think of the whole thing where, it, it it resonates for me when especially fat women turn and talk about women who are sticks yeah. or skinny bitches or or that sort of thing like it's the it, it's it's born out of that bullying but it's it i don't know i just i thought it was a really interesting statement to make in the context of the way that things sometimes eventually develop it's true and I still, I mean, I, I still think she should have punched him in the nuts. <laughs> I, I, I my my vote was for an enthusiastic cock punching to yeah. be specific, but I think we should probably wrap up because we are coming up on the hour mark. And I, can I, I share would my like, theory? yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, my, I have a theory. Like we're watching all of this stuff with Dr. Gina Torres and her dad. And there's a a point where he makes a comment about sometimes you don't know people are going to leave, um, even, you know, if the signs are there. Dr. Gina Torres is angsting about how she's not a very good camp director and Will left and, you know, ran away. And he um, he makes this comment that obviously resonates more fully with their story about how you don't, you know... You don't always know that people are going to leave. And she has this complete inability to tell her mom that he is there. And they have this weird food thing going on. And he has not made a single value judgment about anyone's weight at all. And so I feel like there is some sort of story in their past where he may not have been supportive enough or... You know, her mom thought that he was encouraging them to have an unhealthy lifestyle because he's not a skinny dude. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that he may not have gotten on the weight loss bandwagon. And I think that that may have been an instrumental part in why not only her parents divorced, but why there is apparently such a gulf that she cannot even tell her mother that she is associating with her father who has come to camp to reconnect because of some reason he's sick or something. Mm -hmm. So I I think that there is some interesting things (laughs) happening there. That's my prediction. And a commenter on your blog seemed to think the same thing. Yeah. So it's not, other people are picking up on that a little bit. So that'll be interesting. I, I like the idea of us continuing to do sort of huge responses as we have (laughs) stuff to talk about and if um, you like them then let us know and we'll keep doing them although we'll probably keep doing them anyway (laughs) it's true (laughs) it's true we're horrible people like that (laughs) 
But I think we're, unless you have anything else to add, I think I'm going to wrap this up. I, it's interesting. I'm looking forward to the next episode. I am Me actively, too. I am actively dreading it because it's another chance for things to go horribly wrong. But I am also actively looking forward to seeing what happens next. And that is an interesting experience with a show of this kind. I am looking forward to Will and Ian making out. Because you know it's going to happen. <laughs> you know it's going to happen. I you have to- know. I know you are all team Ian. And I feel kind of bad saying this. He's a lovely person. I'm sure the actor is a really awesome dude. He's just... I think maybe I knew too many of those dudes. <laughs> He's just another boring dude. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm bringing so, the Ian hate I'm in so, the face of my team Ian-ness. I, I love that you are all team Ian and I'm happy <laughs> <with> you. <laughs> And I wish I had, like, a different team so that then we could have, like, Burger King sponsorship wars. But you can be Team Becca. Everybody's Team Becca, though, because she's Everybody's awesome. Team Becca, because she kicks ass. <laughs> she totally, totally almost shot Will in the face with a Nerf arrow. Yeah. And the only reason she didn't shoot Will in the face with a Nerf arrow is because she didn't shoot her on in the face on purpose. <laughs> it's not like she was just bad with the arrows. It's that yeah. she knows not to shoot people in the face. <laughs> so everybody, I think, is Team Becca. Yeah. Well, we will talk more about Becca because we didn't really get to talk to her that talk about her that much this time. But we will talk more about her in the next episode, I'm sure. And this has been a special huge episode of Fatcast. I am Leslie Kinzel. Huge. I'm Marianne Kirby. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Fatcast. The music you've heard in this podcast is by Revolution Void. Fatcast is shared with you under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike License.